0: I'd say simplify the stack as much as possible. Really understand like what are the jobs to be done. Probably think a couple years out. If you don't have a solution yet and you're evaluating solutions out there, thinking about what you're going to need in a couple of years and just building for that.
1: Hey, it's Dan Naga here. I'm a tech stack nerd and the CEO of the leading tech stack consulting firm, Maga.io. Each week, I speak with the marketing executives that are developing kick-ass stacks to make their wildly ambitious revenue goals a reality. This week, I'm speaking with Casey Armstrong, CMO of ShipBob. They're a global shipping fulfillment solution for e-commerce, direct-to-consumer, and B2B brands, and they're absolutely killing it. Currently, they're valued at a $1 billion and revenues well over $100 million a year. Casey's advice for the stack is simple, literally. I see bloated and cumbersome tech stacks all the time, and they're a major problem that can lead to what I like to call the stack apocalypse. This is what happens when your stack explodes under the weight of useless, dead, or unusable tools that cause a ripple effect through your entire stack. What we learned from Casey's story is how to keep a lean and efficient stack that'll help you drive revenue and avoid your tools dragging you down. This is my conversation with Casey. So
0: Casey, what is ShipBob? ShipBob's a, a global fulfillment platform, and we have over 35 fulfillment centers around the world. We ship direct consumer and B two B orders for over 7,000 brands, and we ship millions of orders every single month. As the CMO,
1: like what is your responsibility?
0: Yeah, so as the CMO of ShipBob, as you would expect, I get to oversee all things on the marketing side of the business. But here, I actually get to oversee everything on the partnership side of the business as well. And so we think about, you know, how does that really raise the brand awareness and drive a lot of just inbound to our business. And the number one KPI or item number that I look at is is revenue. And so we're looking at total revenue, we're looking at new revenue, and we're looking at expansion revenue. And if what we are doing is not influencing that to honestly go up and to the right, then we're not doing our job. And that way we are working hand in hand with sales and hand in hand with support and success and who's ever owning like the upsell side of the business, because you know, that's what we need to focus on. And also what I think helps not just all of the teams at at ShipBob work together well, but also be aligned and, and moving in the same direction with our customers is we make money when our customers make money. And so our business model is really predicated on we get paid on performance or how often we ship items. That's a majority of our revenue. And so the more we ship, naturally the more our customers are shipping and so therefore we all, we all get to win. And so that's, that's really our focus. And then just for like tighter feedback loops, of course, you know we look at uh, higher in the funnel KPIs as well. And so those could be SQLs or opportunities depending on whatever nomenclature your business uses. We look at leads and lead score from there and then of course we look at different awareness metrics and then also our spend. We track all of that, that of course gives us our conversion rates, our cost per, let's just say, lead or, or SQL or new customer. We look at things like payback. And so there's a bunch of metrics you can look at, but at the end of the day, we need to be driving revenue up and to the right. What are some of the big ambitions or goals that you have? I think the best way to view it whether you're ShipBob or another fast-growing technology company is to build this fast-growing, large, sustainable business that you think has repeatable, scalable growth so that you have all the doors open. There's optionality. And so whether you want to go public or stay a standalone private business or potentially get acquired, if you focus on building this this fast-growing, long-term business, again, all the doors are open.
1: Yeah. Now what are, what are some of the blockers you expect to experience or are experiencing that are going to prevent you from that long-term sustainable business? Like what are the major hurdles you're going to have to overcome to make that happen?
0: I don't know if I'd view them as like hurdles per se, but just knowing each thing we need to like continue to chip away at because again, you're you're moving physical inventory and physical goods and so there's just different regulations within different countries and different continents if you are trying to build a business like shipbob you have to have such a long time horizon in how you view your business and what you're building and so you're not just trying to like create these like little shortcuts because obviously you need to like accelerate your growth in the near term, but you also need to lay the foundation for what you're building over, let's say, 10, 20, 30-year time period as well.
1: Who's your target profile, like your ICP, ideal customer profile? Like Who is the ICP for y'all?
0: Ideal would be a fast-growing direct-to-consumer brand with a rather simple catalog. (laughs) And from there, it's really how can we open up that ICP? And so it can be, again, brands that are just getting started to well, over 100 mil, and they can start having more complex catalogs and sell direct to consumer and B2B. We've really opened that up a lot, but the simplest brands are always simple catalogs, direct to consumer in the US.
1: How are you currently acquiring them? What is the marketing strategy, marketing angle that you're using to get these people in? Is there certain things you're hanging your hat on?
0: Yeah. So, what's, what I think makes ShipOb unique and and honestly helps us on the marketing side a lot, is we have a really strong outbound function as well. And so you know, our job as marketers is to provide a lot of air cover and and brand awareness and positive sentiment from a brand perspective to support the outbound sales team. Then on, on the marketing side or the inbound side, our main channels are a lot of the usual suspects on just direct and brand, organic, paid search and display, affiliate and then and then our partnership function as well.
1: Mm. Now, it's interesting because you have a sales function and you have the marketing function and it sounds like sales is really doing a good job in their outbound stuff. But how much of it are you responsible for? I mean, I see a lot of organizations that are doing outbound, but SDRs are now in marketing or marketing owns the creation of the account list. How responsible is your marketing team for building the leads for that outbound team? Not on
0: building the leads for the outbound team but i'd say it's all aligning on who we're going after and you know how can we provide maybe direct air cover to like a named account and then also how can we just continue to like i mentioned earlier increase that brand awareness and then i think one of the easiest ways to drive cohesion and success let's just say between marketing and sales is having aligned kpis and so from like the leadership so myself and our CRO is we really need to co-own these like revenue numbers together and then you know as you continue to look throughout your teams and then the sales team is how can there be shared metrics as well and so let's just say SQLs or other areas where you can just hold the teams accountable to supporting each other for like deeper funnel metrics and the reason why I'd say you'd go higher in the funnel like an SQL versus revenue is just like you got to get tighter feedback loops to like figure out what's working
1: If there's anything I've learned through the years to build a successful business, you need to gain alignment between your teams. ShipBob gets aligned around revenue. Of course, they have other metrics, but it's clear that the entire team is focused on driving revenue. Many people miss this and they get too focused on MQLs, SQLs, Opti conversion rates, and not on the lagging metrics of revenue. If you ever wanna see a marketing and sales team fight, Just bring up the MQL to SQL conversion rate. Want to see them work in harmony? Get them aligned around their revenue goals. ShipBob has good feedback loops around the entire pipeline to generate revenue, whether it be ad spend, MQLs, SQL, or expansion. They use leading metrics, but stay focused on the bigger picture of driving revenue. Hearing how marketing is partnered with sales, providing air cover and branding to support their outbound sales program is music to my ears. Hearing how marketing is aligned with customer success on expansion deals puts the icing on my cake. It's rare when you see this much alignment between teams. This is all made possible by transparency and metrics, keeping things simple, and aligning on a common goal. Now, what's in your stack when you think about trying to generate leads, then create opportunities? Like, what's the stack that's collecting that customer data and then processing it to enable your teams to do stuff?
0: So, on the marketing side, it's primarily HubSpot. And Visible, which is, I think Marketo bought them. And then, yeah, Adobe bought Marketo and then Salesforce. Okay. There's other technology that we use pretty heavily, but that's the core tech stack. And I think one of the biggest areas for opportunity for, let's say, earlier stage companies or even later stage companies is just really that level of focus. You don't need to attack every single potential marketing channel in the world. I mean, we, we're fortunate to do nine figures in revenue with really just a handful of channels before we started to expand pretty fast. And then also trying to simplify your tech stack, because every single new piece of software that you add, it's just more levels of complexity. Maybe you need to hire more people to manage it all, more areas for it to break. But really trying to simplify it. And then beyond beyond just those solutions, you know, we'll our site, it's fully built on WordPress, so we use obviously WordPress heavily. There's obviously great solutions like Zapier to help connect the dots when you don't have engineering resources. And there's, there's some other solutions that we use pretty heavily as well.
1: I love Zapier. Zapier by far, one of my favorite tools out there. You bring up, you know, we have HubSpot, we have Bisbal. You said Salesforce, right? Yep. So HubSpot is just the marketing automation tool, but it's very rare that somebody is like, oh, my stack is mainly HubSpot, Visible, and Salesforce, right? Why is Visible such a big piece of that? Like, what are you using Visible for that's really making it that big of your stack? So it runs more in the background. Very few
0: people on the team use it really ever, but it's more informing us on the attribution side. And so attribution is one of the toughest parts of really trying to figure out how to scale your marketing and what's working and then figuring out whether you do first touch, last touch, some blended combo. But Visible is what we use really from an attribution perspective and it just works really well with Salesforce as well.
1: Now Visible, multi-touch attribution, right? and don't get me wrong, they allow you to do custom models but I didn't hear you say anything like crazy, it sounded like you are doing mainly first touch and maybe a mixed touch. Like, How are you setting up your multi-touch attribution?
0: Honestly, primarily first touch, some blended mix as well. We'll look at like channel-driven and assisted. But again, it's trying to keep things simpler so that we can actually action off of that data and give everybody, again, visibility into,
1: into what's working. If there's anything you can learn from Casey, it's to keep it simple. This reminds me of my days at Kissmetrics, one of the pioneers in marketing analytics. The entire analytics platform was based on KISS, keep it simple, stupid. And this is honestly one of the best ways to win. While KISS and Casey may want to keep it simple, multi-touch attribution, also known as MTA, is far from simple. Long gone are the days when multi-touch attribution was the golden ticket, or should I say pipe dream, to massive returns on ad spend. MTA is one of the hardest types of reporting and metrics to stand up. It takes a lot of good data, a lot of integrations, and hopefully not six data scientists to build your custom model. And once you have your MTA reporting, now you need to know what to do with those reports, which in my opinion is where everyone gets stuck. They have the data, but they don't have the know-how to convert it into insights or action. It's just another fancy report that makes us feel warm on the inside, but doesn't provide value. But wait, you didn't hear Casey say a custom model. He's keeping it simple so he can provide visibility to his team. He's focused most on first touch, blended, and sometimes assisted touch. This way, the team can easily know what's working and do more of that to drive revenue. How are you using HubSpot? Like, What's the main goal with HubSpot? What are the main things you're using it for?
0: HubSpot's helpful in a lot of different areas. Of course, we use it for all marketing automation. It can help you with things like uh, progressive forms and so that way you're not impacting your conversion rates by asking for too much data and so as repeat visitors come back you can continue to like learn more about them over time. The HubSpot and Salesforce integration is really tight and so you can send information in, in both directions. We use it for part of our lead scoring mechanisms. That way the strain on Salesforce and the strain on like our RevOps team is not too great and so that way we can lead score, let's just say directly at like a sign up or a demo request, and then that will push directly into Salesforce, and we can route to different teams or different people. And so it's really helpful there as well.
1: Yeah. Do you recall any of the reasons why or some of the must haves from HubSpot that they did that maybe Marketo did not? What I'll say is
0: because we used Marketo at BigCommerce, I believe they still use it. And with HubSpot, it's just very user friendly, other than like the UI is much nicer. It allowed us to also build pages and build forms that I think were just much better for what we needed and prettier for the actual visitors as well. Some of our team members, had they were HubSpot certified. That's just such an interesting thing that HubSpot's done and others is, is really playing the long game from like a certification perspective, which I know is a world you're very familiar with, where you build all these people that are now let's just say hubspot certified they're putting it all over their linkedin and so they're getting like brand awareness there as well and now you're starting to see it like seep into like job descriptions and so like we've had job descriptions where it's like salesforce marketo hubspot certified other solutions as well is a must have and so now you can't even get the job unless you have this and so you think of like companies like us or big commerce or others where it's we are almost forcing adoption for these software companies. And then you see, you know, the success at HubSpot as an example has had over the last few years. It's just been mind-blowing because of this groundswell that they built from like more of like a grassroots movement and it's really catching up and paying dividends for them today.
1: Yeah, and you're totally right. You know, the job market has changed a lot where if you don't know how to use a product, you actually can't get the job at the company because they need you to hit the ground running compared to learning on the fly. Now, one of the things that I'm intrigued about is you have a lot of advertising pixels, right? So on your website, there's a ton of them. You also have a lot of affiliate stuff that's going on as well, it appears. But you're also using products like Chili Piper. Are you using Chili Piper to kind of route leads and manage leads? Like how are y'all using Chili Piper?
0: Chili Piper, for those of you who are not familiar with it, it's a way to schedule meetings with sales reps or whoever just immediately right there. We have it sync with Calendly and... We will use that in a handful of ways. One is based off of certain lead scoring uh, mechanisms. And so for the higher intent or the stronger leads, allowing them to schedule a meeting immediately. And then also sometimes we'll use it for after hours as well.
1: What are some of the big failures or mistakes that have maybe happened over the past two years in your stack that you've been like, man, I really wish I wouldn't have bought that tool or this kind of fell on its face? Is there any stories there?
0: I think we should have moved to HubSpot earlier. Just how well it works... With Salesforce and the rules that you can place on top of it, from things like routing and lead scoring, has been extremely valuable. Also, I'd say don't thwart your creativity or experimentation just because some technology doesn't work with your tech stack as well. If you have high conviction and want to test it out, and so an example there is at a prior company, not not Chip Bob, we had very Tight rules on lead scoring. I don't know if lead scoring was working as well as it does here. And I wanted to use like lead pages, for example, to really test some like quick pop up stuff in certain areas of our website and a handful of different like marketing tests we were running, I thought we could really flood Top of Funnel. And then figure out, okay, how can we score these and route these appropriately and make sure that they're high quality versus not? But you don't know unless you flip the switch and turn it on. And worst case is we got a ton of leads that we're going to have to nurture over time and hopefully they turned into something, but it was a pretty low cost experiment. And a handful of times when we brought in like a larger team, there's just a lot of pushback because it wouldn't fit into our core tech stack It wouldn't allow our marketing automation tool to do its thing and score properly. And so again, a handful of times that experiment was killed. And as you can tell, I'm still kind of bitter about it today. Just more of like, just swing, take your shot and don't necessarily... Overthink things. It's just the whole like do things that don't scale thing. Like just try it. And if it works, that's awesome. Figure out ways to get that to work within your core tech stack. Or maybe you can use your HubSpot or Marketo or whatever it may be to offer like the same solution. But you know, if you don't try it, you'll never know.
1: How much iterating on tools would you say you and your team are doing? Are there new tools being added often to test out new strategies? Or how are you testing strategies or tools?
0: This isn't like a hard and fast rule, but we've really tried to focus on when we do add new technology, we got to rip something out. Because you don't want to create this extremely cumbersome tech stack. A lot of us and people who are listening have probably had this experience where you log into, let's just say, WordPress for the first time or Salesforce for the first time, and you see like nine million plugins and you're like, what are you actually using? And then something breaks and you don't know what to fix. And so... You know, if you don't have a staging site, you're doing like some janky <laughs> fix, like turning plugins on and off to see what does and doesn't break, and then hopefully end up deleting them and kind of crossing your fingers. Obviously, there's more scientific approaches than that. And so that way we've just tried to be diligent for a handful of reasons. One is just cleanliness, but also from a cost perspective. Like there's so much wasted dollars on unused SaaS. And so that's been, you know, a focus
1: for us. This is something I like to call the Stack Apocalypse. It's when all of a sudden things go down, tools aren't working, and data's not flowing. We see stacks go down all the time due to bloat, bad planning, or an overzealous ops person who's built their personal masterpiece. All it takes is for one rogue WordPress plugin to get hacked. Bugs happen. Often there's some tiny little thing buried way deep away in the machine that brings everything down. The only way forward is to pull the entire machine apart and to extract a tiny little bug that caused the issue in the first place. A stack apocalypse can happen for all sorts of reasons. A couple years ago, for instance, I had a client who attempted to switch the Salesforce authentication user they were using to integrate with their marketing automation platform, or MAP, which should have been a simple switch turned into a stack apocalypse of epic proportions. Basically, while they were authorizing and unauthorizing users during the swamp, Salesforce and the map failed to sync properly, triggering a domino effect whereby all of the historical data was deleted and then replayed from Salesforce into the marketing automation platform. What did this mean for the client? Tens of thousands of emails were wrongly sent out to all of their contacts. The incident caused them to use up all of their Salesforce API allotment and it shut down their business operations for over a day and weeks were spent apologizing to their customers and rebuilding their reputation after the snafu. Often, too many tools, bad integrations, or lack of experience will cause your stack apocalypse. And honestly, Salesforce, your API daily limit is so 2004. Now back to Casey. Now when you think about how your stack is going to change in the future like any predictions on the way that your stack is going to evolve or new tools you're looking at
0: I don't know what the technology will be but anything where we can get I'd say like intelligent automation that will like learn over time I think will be exciting you know there's areas where you can do that today but that will continue more in the future which is based off of certain actions that let's say happen within our product and how that talks to our marketing automation tools. How can we identify the types of people we should go after? How can we identify the types of messaging that we should get in front of them? How can we maybe customize and modify their onboarding experience or what they're seeing in their dashboard? We do some of that today, but anywhere where you can get these systems to kind of learn on their own. I mean, it's kind of what we try to build at ShipBob, where the way that we distribute your inventory You know, where and how you sell changes over time. And so, like, we've got our analytics reports for every single brand individually within their dashboard. And that learns over time to help you figure out how to, like, split your inventory more intelligently and run a more efficient business. And so, I think there's just a lot of opportunity there on, like, the marketing and and sales tech stack side.
1: If you were trying to give another CMO, VP of marketing, advice on what they should be doing with their stack, what advice would you give?
0: I'd say simplify the stack as much as possible really understand like what are the jobs to be done and probably think a couple years out especially if you're going to if you don't have a solution yet and you're evaluating solutions out there thinking about what you're going to need in a couple years and just building for that. I think what's been interesting to see like with Salesforce for example is at least from my experience let's say like in the early 2010s there were a lot of Salesforce competitors popping up and different businesses would say, okay, well, we're not big enough for Salesforce yet. So let's use whatever, Dan CRM, and we'll use that for a while, and then we'll graduate into Salesforce. But now Salesforce, based off of like a pricing perspective, it's at parity, if not cheaper, than most of the other solutions. The amount of people that know how to use Salesforce and use Salesforce well has greatly increased. And so now people are just using Salesforce on day one. Because you know what you don't want to do is like switch your CRM when you're all of a sudden now a 10 million ARR business or even a 1 million ARR business. Like just start with Salesforce. You're going to eventually go into Salesforce to just use Salesforce. I think the same could be said for certain technology out there. It's like... Well, some's free, like tag manager and Google Analytics. You're always going to want it, and so thinking through other parts of your stack, like HubSpot, can flex really low. And so, you know, maybe it's what you should launch with on day one. And just thinking about other solutions like that as well. And so, I'll give a couple examples. So, I think about ShipBob. Our CEO, down to the most recent hire, when it comes to work, they think all day, every day about you know how can we build the greatest global fulfillment platform ever and innovate on that all day, every day. And that's all they think about. Whereas with HubSpot, same thing. From the CEO on down, the thing about how can we build the greatest marketing automation solution and continue to expand and innovate from there. Whereas when you start buying a bunch of companies, and this isn't to say that it it can't work, because it definitely can, but what's the level of ownership and care that some of these other solutions are getting it's just something to think about. And then also around the tech stack, real quick to go back to your prior question, when people are evaluating what tools do to you use, is do you need it? And is your team set up for it yet? And so like I mentioned Chili Piper, there's other things we use like Chorus and, and other things in the Martech and Sales Tech stack. But do you need those today? Because those costs add up really quickly even, and even if you're like, well that's only whatever, 200 bucks a month. But yeah, that, that will add up because then you're going to say whatever to a lot of things. And also then you're just kind of creating this like tech debt or bloat. And if you don't have the people to instrument it properly and to use it often and action off of it, then then what's the point? And so, you know, you often like will graduate into using a more complex tech stack, which isn't always a good thing. Like again, we try to like simplify it often, but I'd say don't overcomplicate things.
1: Is there any final advice that you would give to anybody in our audience that's looking to get into helping with the tech stack or dealing with the stack in general? I mean, I, you've given a ton of advice, but I just want to make sure we're being thorough.
0: Regardless, Whether it's tech stack or you're figuring out how to run your team, I think just trying to keep things simple when possible, alignment, clarity, and transparency. like Those are just overarching things you could think about that might sound cliché or too surface level but like think about that with your business like alignment across teams alignment with your customers clarity in what you're trying to accomplish and sharing that with the other team members so you're being transparent not just in in what your mission and goals are but also transparent in access to the data that you find valuable that way everybody's just moving in the same direction that's how you're going to have your best success
1: yeah no, I love it. I love it. Keep it simple, right? At the end of the day, keep it simple. So, thanks for taking the time, man. I really do appreciate it.
0: Yeah, Dan, thank you very much.
1: I'm Dan McGaugh, and you've been listening to The Stack, a podcast where we talk to executives who are building cool shit and the stack that's making their wildly ambitious revenue goals a reality. Coming back to Casey's approach of keeping the tech stack simple, there are a few things that really stood out to me. First, get alignment across your teams and have all focused on simple metrics like revenue that ensure they're headed in the same direction. Sounds simple, right? Second, having lots of tools is not a solution. It is actually a dissolution of you hitting your goals. When you have too much tech, you incur high costs, tech debt, and burnout team members being spread thin across an unwieldy stack. And finally, keep it simple by choosing the tools you'll still be using in a few years. No one wants to be swapping out their CRM in the midst of their growth years, or trying to learn a new analytical platform when they're having exponential growth. As I always say, build cool shit, but this doesn't mean your stack build should be complicated. To get more tips like these, get a free copy of my book, Build Cool Shit, and subscribe to this podcast. Just text THE STACK to 415-915-9011 to get a copy of my book and hit that subscribe button to get updates on future episodes. Thanks so much. I'll catch you next week.